You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Today's teaching text is from Ephesians 6 verses 11 through 17. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. I would fully echo what Miriam said earlier. Y'all look so beautiful today. So we are in this teaching series going through the book of Ephesians, specifically at the end. Um, But a couple Sundays ago, Patrick introduced uh, the series to us, and it's covering a little bit about what the Ephesian church looked like. and who Paul is writing to, right? Uh, highly recommend to check that sermon. It was amazing. Uh, but also just to remember that as we're in the end of the book of Ephesians, like chapter 6, specifically talking about the armor of God, which is this illustration that Paul uses to describe ways that we can protect ourselves as followers of Jesus and to hold tight to the unity in Christ, stand firm in him, right? And then that was a reminder, too, that our battle... It's not against flesh and blood, not against each other, but it's against principalities and forces of evil. Um, you know, and these forces that act against the very things that God's been working on all along, which is uniting the world and uniting all things back to him. Amen? So we've covered, like, the overarching theme of that. Um, and I remember Patrick talking about how relying powerfully in the mighty name of Jesus. Uh, And last week, uh, we started going to the nitty-gritty of the different pieces of the armor, right? Um, And it was interesting just to pay attention about how Paul highlights these things, but uh, we'll talk more about in depth today. Last week, Gemma talked about the belt of truth, uh, and today, as we continue with the analogy of the armor, we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. So let's dive in. So righteousness is this kind of fancy, very churchy world. Oh, sorry, word. Um, that kind of gets used to translate something like in right relationship with, right? And that can be a little confusing. It's like, oh, can you just speak plain English, please? Uh, but in and of itself, like, it has a host of questions in it. Like right relationship with whom to what, when, what is right anyways, uh, and is there a standard that we're talking about here, right? 
So to unpack that a little bit, we dive deep into the two languages in our Bible, which is the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek. So right off of our, our text today, uh, the word righteousness that Paul uses there in Greek is dikaios. And that word is used like over 200 times just in the New Testament. Just to get an idea of like, hey, this word comes around a lot, so pay attention to it. And it's translated as just, justice, or to justify, or goes like kind of weird loopholes in dictionaries. Like, oh, I'm searching for the word righteousness. Oh, it means righteous. It's like, oh man, that didn't help. So it also translated as righteous. Uh, or when we correlate this word to the word in Hebrew, back in the Old Testament, uh, we get the word sadaka, which is also used over 500 times in the Old Testament. So again, this is a word that comes around often, something about it. Uh, and that's where we get the notions of like righteousness and justice like really interconnected. But the root of it basically being when we talk about justice or righteousness in the Old Testament is that it's not only the punitive kind of justice, which is like, oh, I've done something wrong, I need to pay the price for it. It's mainly restorative kind of justice. So we're kind of like, okay, there's, there's a bigger idea of this here. Restoring to what? Um, being right relationship to what? To whom? To what standard? So that's kind of giving us the clues for it. But it's back to that idea that when you're restored, when you're in right relationship with, both parties are working together for the flourishing of one another. They're like, oh, okay, so that's, that's, that's great. I like that. Uh, it's a very relational term. And all these things that we're talking about, is okay, righteousness, justice, like I'm connecting the dots here. All these things literally just point back to God's very character and nature. It's like he's a perfect, holy, just creator who out of love put all things in place like brought order his order from nothing from chaos and he brought it to order and he called it good he called it very very good and as his history goes as we know this very harmonious and imperfect relationship world was torn apart by some very opposing evil forces and there were some lies involved, there was some twisting and bending of the truth, uh, and there was the fruit that was plucked and ate, uh, eaten, and, well, everything pretty much spiraled down from there, as we know. But point being is that since that very moment, back in Genesis, that right relationship between us, that right relationship between us and God, and that right relationship between us and the rest of creation was fractured. <laughs> And he has been since. But not God's character. Not his righteousness. Nor not his justice. Right? So again, righteousness is to be in right relationship with. Right? And because we ourselves are in a broken world, it needs reconciliation. We need to make amends. We need to go back into being whole. Uh, that's what we were designed for in the first place. So when we talk about that, naturally we kind of gravitate talking about reconciliation as well. So just, again, we went from righteousness to reconciliation to be made in right relationship with all things and all beings, and especially to be reconciled with God who created all things in the first place. So my favorite definition of reconciliation, by the way, is from Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. If you don't know her or never heard of her, 
please research her. She's amazing. She's powerhouse. But I just want to give it to you so you can understand what we're talking about when we talk about reconciliation. This is the scope of what we as followers of Jesus should be thinking of when we hear the word reconciliation. She says, reconciliation is an ongoing spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, and justice that restores broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. Did you catch the last part? For all creation to flourish. Oh, man, it's so beautiful. You should take a photo of that, by the way. (laughs) This is the righteousness we're talking about. This is the reconciliation we're talking about. So please remember this. But what we as humans might consider righteousness or to be righteous, right, and pleasing to God, because it is, that's his character, right? That doesn't always line up with what God calls it righteous. So I was like, oh, what happened? So before he wrote about the armor of God, you know, and before he became a follower of Jesus, Paul was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were basically Jews who placed a very high emphasis on obeying more than just the commands of God. They they also obeyed an extra set of commands, made man, uh, man man-made commandments, sorry, uh, on top of God's commandments. Because they believed that their obedience to all these extra set of rules uh, will keep them far from sin or far from being wrong or far from walking on the wrong path. Basically, they believed that obeying all the extra set of things would make them righteous. And Paul had some impressive credentials, y'all. He was like a PhD of PhDs, right? Uh, if you read the letter of Philippians, which is the ones right before Ephesians, uh, he lists like his pedigree there, right? He's like, I'm, I'm legitimate birth. I'm circumcised on the eighth day. I'm an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a strict devout and adherent to God's law, a fairy defendant of the purity of this religion. Red flags, red flags. Uh, even to the point of persecuting Christians, uh, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book and the extra ones as well, pay attention. But then he says this, I'm tearing it all apart. Like, I don't care about all of that. I'm throwing it all out in the trash. All along with everything else that I consider good or I consider that I should take credit for it. And it's like things that I once thought were so important that made me feel so important are gone. They're nothing. And he says, they're nothing. Nothing compared to the high privilege of knowing Jesus and what he's done. And he says, I don't want that petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules. He's like, I want the robust kind of righteousness that comes from trusting Christ, who is God's righteousness. See, so we read things in scripture like Psalm 99. It talks about the righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Read about a messianic king that will come and rule with righteousness and justice. So see, this is like really, really interconnected. And that's God's kind of justice that we're talking about. What was that inferior kind of justice, the, oh, righteousness, that inferior brand of righteousness that Paul was talking about? Well, that inferior brand of righteousness, it's also known as self-righteousness. And we all have a little bit of self-righteousness, to be honest. We live in a world that continuously conditions us 24-7 to believe that it is about us, right? 
Um, and self-righteousness is something that we don't really see in the mirror, unless God is holding the mirror, by the way. Uh, but in short, self-righteousness, self-righteousness is a person or someone who believes that he or she is better than or morally superior to someone else, right? And, man, there's a lot of religiosity talk in there. Like, I'm full on, like, religiosity in Christianity has been very self-righteous for a very long time. And it's a tricky thing, because we can talk about that and just talk about this big system thing and talk about different religions or different even government structures and whatnot, and we can keep at that level. But Jesus was so good at like, yeah, you can keep it at that level, but I'm talking about your heart. Can we be personal? And that's the tricky thing, because if you pay attention, it creeps in in so many areas of our everyday lives. And I'm not pointing fingers here, but if the shoe fit, go ahead and wear it, bro, okay? (laughs) Have you ever caught yourself putting down other people's behaviors and justifying your own? When in fact we're doing the exact same thing, but I'm like, oh no, Mm mm-mm. It can be a pretty hypocritical thing, right? And especially today, which is so easy to judge and compare. It's kind of like just a scroll away, right? Like, oh, you're on vacation again? Oh my God. Th- that kind of thing. Oh, just swiping left and right. That's, that's as easy as that. It can lead to a very prideful behavior focused on yourself and also focused on everybody else's problems but your own heart. Those are all like symptoms of that. It's like that speck on the other people's eyes and you forget the plank on yours. Like, oh man. You know, Mother Teresa used to say that if you judge people, you have no time to love them. I was like, as simple as that. That's beautiful. But there's other ways that self-righteousness can also creep in into our very days. For instance, oh, I work too much because I want to be valued by what I do. And what I produce, I want people to see my work and my actions and give me credit for that. That's sneaking in. That's a really, really big kind of self-righteousness. Because you start placing your identity in that. And that becomes who you are, which was never the case, by the way. And that's easily like leads into like, well, I'm comparing myself because I have more credentials than this other person. Like, why did she get that promotion? All that kind of stuff. You see where I'm going with this? Or, I'm a good person because I do want people to think that of me. I'm so glad that you're a good person, but your motivations are all backwards. And let's be honest, I'm the first one guilty of that as well. So there's no, unfortunately we don't escape this like that. This is not how we were designed to, but it's, it creeps in. And it, 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 it also can be, Express this apathy leads to a lot of apathy, which is like, man, I'm losing touch with other people. I lost my compassion and my empathy. Again, we're never designed to know right or wrong apart from God. Self-righteousness was never a thing in God's original design because there's no self apart from God. And that's where we got in a lot of trouble, right? We only are because God is, and that's it. So the problem with self-righteousness is the self, um, and we literally made it about us, and you know, it's always about God, first and foremost. But here's the litmus test, you ready? 
If I'm saying all these things right now, all these scenarios and different, you know, examples, and you're thinking of someone else, Yep. <laughs> Another part of self-righteousness is sometimes that we have a hard time observing our own heart. It's hard, y'all. But it's okay. For now. Because Jesus can help you see things and rearrange things in your heart. Only he can do that. And that's why righteousness is a gift. It's a gift found in Jesus. Beauty is that you can put on his righteousness while he continues to work in your ways, in your heart. It's like as simple as that. He's like, he's faithful to do the job and complete the job that he started. So he's like, for now on, why don't you just wear mine? It fits much better in you than whatever you're wearing. Simple as that. Because it's God restoring all things to what they were in the beginning. And he's starting with you. He's starting with your heart. Starting with your mind, with your soul, with your very body. Are you paying attention to it? But he also doesn't want to stop there. Because as he's restoring all things, starting with your heart, mind, body, soul, that starts to also sweep into your relationships, the people around you. Invading your block, invading your community, invading your neighborhood, invading your city. You see how God works? Because he's also restoring systems. He's restoring the deep systemic issues that we've carried ever since. Ever since that first lie. Are you with me? So of all this talk about righteousness and what kind of righteousness we're talking about, there's one question that lingers, right? It's like, why a breastplate? Like, of all things, like, really, uh, why not a sword of righteousness or a shield or a bow and arrow? I'm from the Amazon, guys, so that's why I have to go there. <laughs> but you get my point. Like, and there's other parts of the armor that Paul talks about, but why he connected righteousness with the breastplate? Uh, it's not implicit nor explicit in our text, but, you know, and again, Paul is simply using an analogy, an illustration to help us understand how can we linger to God and, and be united in Jesus and protect ourselves with the characteristics, the, the very nature of God that we embody. So, you know, as any other metaphor, some things are maybe flawed, but I think it was very, very intentional with this one. So this is me speculating, okay, of why would it be a breastplate of righteousness and not any other part of the armor? So, <laughs> yay. What, what lives in here? All your vital organs, right? Your lungs, uh, part of your, your throat, and all the other intestines, but mainly your heart. And as you're speaking metaphorically, right, like when you, every time you read about the heart, especially in the Old Testament, the heart means whatever, which we now describe as the gut. Like we mean from the heart to like the actual gut really is like what propels you for, like the root of your desires, the root of, of what you do. That's the heart. And righteousness would protect your heart. The heart is the wellspring of life. And then we're reading Proverbs. Uh, and it makes sense that of all things, that's what righteousness would protect. 
Because it's so close to God's heart, so close to, justice is so close to God's heart. That's what drives him, right? I would say that's who he is. And yes, as we're talking about, remember that our, our, our battle is not against one another, it's not against flesh and blood, it's against evil spirits. And the enemy a lot of times wants to go through your head, right? Your thoughts, your minds. But ultimately, he is aiming for your heart. So let righteousness be a breastplate to protect your heart. So let's get practical here for a second, right? How do we put on a breastplate of righteousness? Um, Well, one of them is kind of given to us, which is live righteously. What does that mean? Like, but same thing with the dictionary. It's like, I'm going to read those, those loopholes. I'm like, gosh. Anyways, but basically, it means, breaking it down, it means just knowing God. Like, so you can know his ways and you can live by it. There's no way you can do that without knowing who he is at first. So think of a long-time relationship or a long-time friendship that start like, you know, kind of picking up each other's ways. Like, okay, she... She talks like this, or he talks like this, and kind of talks talking like this too. Like you, you, it starts to inform each other's habits. Except, like Patrick says, in this scenario, God is horrible at exchanges. Like I give to him all my bad habits, all my broken stuff, and he's like, "Sure, I'll give him my perfect character and perfect righteousness." Okay, uh, that works. But it's it's really that. Like, in what ways and how ways are you hanging out with God? Are you? Or has your prayer time became more legalistic than just hanging out with God and getting to know him? And trust me, if that hour in the morning hasn't really been working, do something else. But invite God in. Hang out with him. That's like, that's the key thing. Otherwise, there's no way you can ever live a life that he called you to live, that he gave for you to live. Um, But be intentional with that. Invite God into every decision of your daily lives. Like, for real, hanging out with God is an amazing thing. Have you ever hung out with the creator of the universe? Like, he has a lot of things to say about a lot of things. So it's, it's fascinating. But truth, truth be told, like, we're talking about spiritual practices. We're talking about spiritual formation. We're talking about communion, discipleship. All these things linger into, like, knowing who God is. Remember, Paul, like, I, I throw all that stuff in the trash out of the privilege of knowing who God is. So check out the Goodway course. Check out the resources we have on our website. Check out our resources on prayer or core groups. All these things are simply tools to help you grow in the knowledge of God. Trust me, that will sweep in, that will linger in, and that will start informing your very habits in your everyday life. Um, but here's another very, very practical way to put on your breastplate of righteousness and hopefully to keep it on, right? And that is... Proximity to the poor. Since our fuller, more biblical God's understanding of righteousness involves justice and redemption and reconciliation, remember? That means that righteousness and justice are primarily my posture towards the vulnerable and the poor in my community. So the question then is, will I be aware and make their problem my responsibility. God in his perfect, perfect righteousness, who is Jesus, made your biggest problem his responsibility. Are we 
as we wear the breastplate of righteousness, made right with God by him, are we doing the same thing to the most vulnerable in our community, in our very spheres, or in the larger spheres, whatever that is? Are we doing that? Because remember, that would safeguard your heart. It really will. Here's a couple quotes for you, some people that you should also know. Uh, Dr. Cornel West said that justice is what love looks like in public. That's so good. And one of my favorites, Gustavo Gutierrez, says that God has a preferential option for the poor. Which a lot of people actually took that and kind of like spin it in a weird way, which to mean something that he never really meant, which is it's kind of like he did not mean that it disregards fairness in favor of the poor. It's tricky because honestly this is almost impossible to explain because we don't understand the mind of God. Like how I as a human being can never try to fairly just or like, you know, execute justice in a world without being unbiased because I'm not God. But at the same time, God has a preferential heart for the poor because he's right there with the marginalized, with the vulnerable. That's his, his lingering to conduct all things and restore the dignity of all things that he started. Yet, he will still judge fairly, which is, I can't comprehend that. So I'm trying to explain to you something that I don't understand. <laughs> but this is just who God is. And we keep kind of going in this loophole because, like, God, you're God and I'm not. So... But think about this, God has a preferential option for the poor, which, story of all stories. What do you think happened after the word got broken? Meaning, after we plucked fruit, after we disobeyed one commandment that God gave us, after we kind of, you know, spin the truth a bit, ate the fruit, and then started blaming, no, it was her, it was him, it was the snake, it was whatever, you know. We became broken. We became the ones in need of a savior. We became the ones who were poor, oppressed, and vulnerable because we were binded to sin. We were literally stuck. And God was like, I see you. There's injustice happening, and I'm not going to let it happen. So the reality is that incarnation, God becoming human, becoming vulnerable as we are to be vulnerable, literally made all things right by living the life we could never live and exercising the justice and the fairness and the beauty of his love through his son, Jesus. And that's like what we're called to do. But when you think of it, why did God have to come and be so close to us? He's like, here, I'm with you in this. That's proximity. Stay close. Guard your heart like that. Like, make sure that your heart is being softened day by day by the things that soften God's heart. That he's, he's right there for it. So the question is then, like, how would wearing this blessed plate of righteousness, how is it supposed to protect my heart? Well, again, it guarantees that you're keeping close to God's heart, which is a constant reminder that we are in much, as, as in much need of him as everybody else. And we then choose to spend our lives in the other's behalf, not out of obligation, but we choose to do that as a response to his incredible sacrificial love. Amen? So, 
was a lot. <laughs> and there was so much more here. This was, this was a joy and a, a big wake-up call for me as well. So why don't we just stand? Uh, I'd love to pray over you. Ask the band to come up. There's one thing that's been in my heart every time I read through this. I'm like, okay, God, these are the things that I'm sharing. And God's like, stop here. Just stop and pay attention. And I don't really know what it is. So I just honestly wanted to create some space and be like, God, I can only say whatever, you know, as much as I can say. But you can speak to their hearts in a way that I can't. So I just want to create space for that and ask the prayer team to just... Be in the front. These rugs are here for you guys, honestly. Just be in God's presence. Remember that. I love what Miriam shared earlier. Like, this is, this is a vulnerable space, y'all. You're among family. There's no reason to hide behind anything. Um, and most important, there's no reason to hide behind anything in front of God. So we just close your eyes for a second. God, thank you that you've been in work in our hearts for a long time, long before we even acknowledged that. You've loved us so much that you do not let us stay in the same place, making the same mistakes or inclining to believe that we are capable of doing life on our own. God, thank you that above all things, you were a God who made a way and rescued us from bondage, rescued us from, from death, rescued us from spiraling down into our own ego and our own ways. Thank you that you're a God who, since the very beginning of all things, was love, was justice your righteousness and that's how you establish all things to be it's not how they are necessarily now but we God fully trust you and know that you are God working on all things and especially in our hearts said it in passing uh, as, as I was reading this, but there was, I don't know, I believe that that example in common of someone who are really ticked by the fact that someone else in the workplace got a promotion that you felt like you deserved it. And if that's you, I just want to say that God sees you. And he's asking you to trust that he has so much more for you than what you could see right now. And maybe that was the only option that you could see, but God is inviting you to see so much more. 
So if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to come front or raise your hand or anything. I just ask you to, right now, just say, like, God, I trust you. As angry as I might be, as frustrated as I might be, as, you know, I just trust you. And that's enough. Trust me that that's enough. Trusting God is enough. God, would you keep our hearts safe? Thank you for your righteousness and your perfect justice that keeps our hearts safe. Guarded in you, knowing that everything is in your hands and you are making things right. So God, with every fiber of our being, we just want to declare that we love you and we trust you. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with our finances, with our relationships. God, we trust you with this city. We trust you with the neighborhoods that we're in. We trust you, God, with the places that you call us to, to walk, to be, to, to work. We trust that you're moving the pieces, God. God, I just pray that we would be a people who walk by you, who walk with you, and know your way so well that we're quick to identify the places that are broken, and we're quick to go there because, God, you are there, and we want to bless that. And not only that, but you're inviting us to be a part of it. God, you're so kind and so good. <laughs> 